This is Kaya, and you're listening to the Black Aspiration Podcast. The Black Aspiration Project is a knowledge mobilization initiative that strives to ensure that the voices, experiences, and specific health concerns of Black communities are recognized, valued, and integrated into healthcare policies, practices, and support services. As part of the project, we've created a podcast series featuring different healthcare leaders, community members, and advocates for Black health, exploring the unique experiences, challenges, and resiliency of Black individuals in relation to their health and healthcare. The Black Aspiration Project is sponsored by Western University's Research, Mobilization, Creation, and Innovation Grants for SHRC-related research. Today, we are joined by Dr. Stephanie Laddie, an assistant professor in the Department of Criminology at the Toronto Metropolitan University. Dr. Laddie completed her PhD at the University of Toronto in the Collaborative Women and Gender Studies Program in the Department of Social Justice Education at OISE. Her current research examines the media and legal discourses surrounding Black women and girls who have experienced strip searching in Canada. Her other interests and expertise include Black studies, critical race theory, anti-racism, abolition, Black feminism, and anti-colonial theory. Before her academic work, Dr. Laddie served on the board of directors of Planned Parenthood Toronto and was the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Coordinator at Humber College. Dr. Laddie is also a social worker and has worked with organizations such as Griffin Centre Mental Health Mental Health Services, and Women's Health and Women's Hands Community Health Center. So Dr. Laddie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So just to jump into it, uh, the first question is something we ask all our guests on the podcast, and it's what stands between you and the world you wish to live in? Yeah, thank you. It's such a, it's such a beautiful question. Um, to especially, It's an especially beautiful question to start off with. I think the world that I want to live in is one that's sort of built on a different set of principles than our current world. It is a world that has at its core like a different set of relations to one another and to the land that is not exploitative, that is not extractive, that is not overly individualistic, right? And it's a world where we're all free. And I think getting there requires confronting and dismantling structures of power that harm people. It requires also the work, I think, of fierce imagination in order to sort of dream up and create other ways of being together, you know? Yeah, and and it requires also a radical kind of hope as well that continues, you know, to work towards this 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 world every day in big and small ways and kind of trusting that we will see it that it's coming yeah mm-hmm. um so could you tell us a little bit about your journey to academia what led you from being a practicing social worker to pursuing a phd in women and gender studies and social justice education yeah of course thank you for asking that question so my journey to academia has really of course, been shaped by my lived experience as a Black woman, you know, the sort of felt sense of living in an anti-Black world. And also, it's also been shaped by my professional experience as a social worker. So growing up, I had a lot of these experiences of anti-Black racism. I didn't have the words to describe them. I know this is the story for so many people. And it was really in my MSW, my master's of social work at Toronto Metropolitan University, that I found a bit more of a political consciousness and a political vocabulary 
under the mentorship of amazing professors like Dr. Akua Benjamin, who taught me uh, about anti-Blackness, about Black feminism, and really gave me the language that I needed to describe what I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and she put a lot of care into mentoring me. And that was a really crucial part of my journey as an academic. So you mentioned like personal experiences and um, is there like a personal or professional experience that made you like, yeah, I want to go into academia. I want to stop sort of practicing as a social worker and I want to do my own research. You know, I don't know if there was one particular experience, you know, because there's just so much, it's in some ways so ubiquitous and every day, it's like I walk Mm -hmm. out of my front door and there's anti-Blackness. I walk into the mall and there's anti-Blackness, go to work, anti-Blackness. So Mm -hmm. it's almost so ubiquitous. I don't know if there's one specific experience, but, you know, being a social worker um, who really wanted to do like critical and radical work. And I was also very young. And so I think I was perceived in a lot of cases as like underqualified or, you know, not experienced enough or, you know, and infantilized in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. as a black woman in these spaces. So, you know, there definitely was, there definitely were a lot of experiences like that. Yeah, and actually there was one experience that I that pops into my head right now as like a particular moment where I was like, this is not, <laughs> this is not it anymore for me. <laughs> yeah. So just thinking about your current research, how does strip searching Black women and girls contribute to the intersection of anti-Blackness and, and gender-based violence in Canada? Mm-hmm. So this is sort of one branch of my scholarly work, right? And um, this is the branch that looks at the strip searching of Black women and girls by the police in Canada. And for me, this was very important to investigate because of how under-researched and also how incredibly harmful this is as like a site of of violence. You know, a few years ago, the, the media was reporting on how the Toronto police were unlawfully using strip searching um, seemingly as a matter of routine procedure. And at the same time, there was this lack of data about who was being strip searched. But we know that Black people are overrepresented at virtually every level of our criminal justice system, including, you know, in use of force. And we see this sort of trend continue in the area of strip searching as well. And so I was considering strip searching as a kind of particularly gendered form of police violence, following scholars that I admire so much and whose work is so important to me, like Andrea Ritchie and Angela Davis, both of whom argue that um, strip searching is a form of state-sanctioned sexual violence. So, you know, they're writing in the American context, but of course, Canada has a long history of systemic anti-Black racism too. And, you know, we need to understand understand strip searching in that context. Um, So, that's sort of where my work, where my work kind of start started um, around strip searching. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. And then before I guess your academic work, you served on the board of directors of Planned Parenthood Toronto. Could you tell us a bit about your work with the organization and your work within reproductive justice? Sure. 
Um, so this was kind of another way that my experience as a social worker kind of shapes my work today and like my career post frontline social work for me. Um, and, you know, doing community-based work has always been very important to me and honestly necessary for me. I, you know, I don't know if I would feel that I am moving in an ethical way through the world if I if I wasn't doing community work alongside my academic work always, right? And the two are like so linked. So I, I spent a couple of years on the board of Planned Parenthood Toronto or PPT and you know, supported the organization, did a small part to support the organization to do a lot of really great work around um, youth reproductive uh, health, um, access to sexual and repro reproductive health services like abortions and contraception, access to health care for trans youth and non-binary youth. Um, and so PPT is doing so much great, like youth-driven, anti-racist and pro-choice work. Um, I've since left the board, but, you know, have continued my community work in other ways. And, you know, while the work that I do now isn't linked specifically or isn't specifically uh, about reproductive justice, it is very much linked. And when I'm thinking about these questions, I, I always turn to Dorothy Roberts and her book, um, Killing the Black Body which is a sort of deep dive into reproductive rights and reproductive freedom as it relates specifically to Black women and the legacies of slavery and how that manifests, that legacy manifests kind of contemporarily in Black women's pursuits for reproductive freedom. Thank you. Um, you talked about continuing to do community work uh, alongside academia. Could Would you like to tell us about some of the things you're working on now or... I'm sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I've been doing. Uh, I, I guess I'll 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 make I'll mention one sort of area of that work that I'm that I'm doing now. But I currently work on the organizing committee of this very small group of volunteers who do prisoner correspondence work mm -hmm. and um, provide information to people who are incarcerated through letters. So, you know, people who are incarcerated across institutions in Canada, across prisons in Canada, will send letters requesting information um, to us. Um, it's a group called Write On, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And we will respond to their letters and just find information. People who are incarcerated in Canada have like abysmal access to information. Like there's no Google, right? You can't just hop on Google and find information. Often information that, you know, relates to, you know, getting an education or, finding support services once they're released or information about the criminal code or legal information, right? So, or sometimes it's like in pictures of flowers, right? Or coloring book pages or something that will just bring a, a tiny bit of joy into someone's life that they can't track down for themselves because they don't have access to um, to the internet or any where that they could find that. So this is a, a volunteer group called Write On Prisoner Correspondence. And um, yeah, I've been working with them. It's been it's been really great. I just started working with them recently in October. So yeah, it's been really good so far and I'm really excited to continue working with them. So that's like one 
one area of my current community work. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Mm. Um, um, so much of your research centers around abolition and anti-Black racism within the criminal justice system. You talked a little bit about it just right now. Um, could you share a bit about how you arrived at an abolitionist politic? Um, how might abolition help us to redefine what it means to care for our communities? Yes, I love this question. <laughs> so I think, you know, along with doing the very difficult work of thinking through violence, which my work does, my work is also deeply abolitionist because it has to be. <laughs> it really does. It has to be. Um, and I arrived to abolition pretty early on in my sort of political consciousness because it was clear to me that the issues that I was seeing, the issues that I was experiencing and that people that I loved were experiencing were happening because anti-Blackness is the foundation upon which these institutions are built. It's, you know, not that these institutions like our criminal justice system were built on values of equity or equality, right? And that now anti-Blackness is like an unfortunate outcome. No, it's that anti-Blackness is their very foundation. And meeting out violence to Black people is really how these systems operate. And so I knew that because of this, there, there is no reforming our way out of these problems. And the solution to these problems is they're not going to come from the state. They're not going to come from, you know, piecemeal reforms. Um, these problems rather will persist until we dismantle all of it and, and build something new. Yeah. And I think the question of care is also a really beautiful one because I think especially when we're studying violence, we do need to think about this question of care and really take it seriously and understand what, what the stakes are. And for me, I, I take it so seriously because I understand in a really embodied way as a Black woman what the stakes are here. And care is so tricky because of all the violence, I think, that has been done to Black women and gender oppressed people under the guise of care, right? Like I'm thinking about harm done in the child welfare system and in the medical system. And so I think moving towards like more of a Black feminist articulation of care, one that emerges from community, right? Like the type of care that we we experience or we talk about or we feel around a dinner table or in like whispers from our aunties, you know? Yeah. Like these are the these are the types of care I think that can be the bridge or the foundation of an abolitionist future. And so that's more what I'm that's kind of what I'm thinking about when I think about care and abolition. Yeah. And futures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much. Um so we talked about abolition, systemic racism, anti-black racism. Um, we also talked about a little bit about, about Dorothy Roberts and the book Killing the Black Body. Um, but for somebody just starting to familiarize themselves with the terms and topics we spoke about today, are there any resources you'd recommend they turn to? Any more books? Oh my goodness, yes. So many books. Yes. <laughs> so many books. Um, yeah, of course. I, I think like the beginning of learning about abolition is the most exciting part. And I would recommend starting with, you know, the people that we call the foremothers of abolition, like Angela Davis, right? Our Prisons Obsolete, or anything by Miriam Kaba. 
you know, um, we do this till we free us. That is um, one by Miriam Kaba or um, Gilmore's Abolition Geographies, or even there's a newer text out called Abolition Feminism Now, which is by Angela Davis, Beth Ritchie, Gina Dent, and Erica Miners. And so I I think, you know, starting there, that's a pretty good place to start. I also think like reading sci-fi is in some ways a really great way to expand your imagination so that maybe we can build the capacity that we need to imagine a different kind of future. So, you know, anything Octavia Butler is my favorite, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. I, I took notes for myself. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end off. Thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? I don't think so. No. I, yeah, I think, oh, I think that's great. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much.